Now, I know what they're trying to say, and bless their hearts, they're only trying to be obedient to what they've been taught. That's why you got to get yourself into a good teaching church, but also nobody's responsible for your learning more than you are. You can't say when you stand before the Lord, well, you know, my pastor, boy, he really misled me. I really, I really trust. No, God's going to say, look, if you would have opened my word and relied on my spirit, I would have taught you. But you hear a lot of Christians saying things like, Satan, I bind you in the name of Jesus. And really, that is not a biblical concept. The idea that we can bind Satan with our words so that he can't do his dirty work is simply unscriptural. And if that's your concept of fighting spiritual warfare, I'm going to tell you this, you're going to be very frustrated and defeated in your Christian experience. Now, of course, we can and should pray that God would protect us or that he would deliver us from the devil's oppression and persecution. Jesus taught us that in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6. We can also pray, and we should pray, that God would use us to spread the gospel and expand his kingdom on earth through our ministries, which will take territory away from Satan and thereby diminish his influence in the world. But if you think that you can bind Satan is if you're tying him up with your words and making him powerless to carry out his evil deeds, you've got another thing coming. You are greatly mistaken. Uh, turn to 2 Corinthians 12. I'll show you what I mean. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 7. Paul the Apostle said, And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations that God has given to me, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure, lest I get, you know, a big head and be all puffed up because of all the revelations God has given to me. God allowed this messenger of Satan to come and buffet me. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul went on to say, therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, if this doctrine of binding Satan was valid, then why didn't Paul use it right here? Here he's, he, he knows he's being buffeted by some messenger of the devil. If this was a true doctrine, you think he would have said, and I bound him in the name of Jesus. He didn't say that. He said, I asked the Lord three times to take care of it and to chase this thing away. But what did the Lord say? Paul, my strength is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. I mean, if this was a valid doctrine, Paul would have used it. He didn't. Some say, well, that's because God sent this messenger of Satan. Folks, Satan can't do anything unless God gives him permission. So any attack of the devil is because God has allowed it. You know, we can't think that Satan's doing anything on his own. He would love, if he could, he'd wipe us all out in a heartbeat. He'd massacre all believers, all people. He'd start with us and move on to the rest of the world because he hates everybody made in the image of God. So anything the devil does to us, he has to get permission from the Lord to do. We learn this from the book of Job. And so people say, well, then why does God allow him to mess with us? Well, Paul says one of the reasons right here in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. 
Where God said, my grace is sufficient for you, my strength is made what? Perfect in weakness. And Paul concludes from that, when I am weak, then I am strong. Persecution has a way of keeping us on our knees, keeping us close to God. Where we don't depend on our own strength, we look to his strength. And that's when we're really strong, right? But also, Paul said in Romans 8, verses 28 and 29, all things are working together for good to those that love God who are the called according to his purpose, right? We know that, he said. And then verse 29, he says, and the good that God is up to is he's conforming us into the image of Jesus. How's he doing that? By letting the devil attack us through persecution, James said. In chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, you know, he says, My beloved brethren, you know, don't lose heart when you fall into various trials. Count it all joy, in fact, knowing that the testing of your faith produces what? Perseverance, strength, I mean, all kinds of good things, right? Look, Satan is serving the purposes of God. That's why God allows him to continue. Because he gives people a choice, you can't have free will without a choice. You can't have free elections and only have one candidate. That really isn't free elections, right? You have to have a choice. Satan becomes the choice. <laughs> people can choose to follow God or follow the devil. And if they, you know, are against the Lord, whether they know it or not, they are following the devil. You're not for me, you're against me, Jesus said. Satan doesn't realize this. His whole motive is just to get at us. He doesn't care. He wants to get at us. He wants to mess with us. He wants to attack us. And, and, and everything he can do is like our lion, just wanting to, to get at us anytime he can. But what God is doing through it all is that he is teaching us through these attacks and persecutions to be good soldiers of Jesus Christ, how to persevere under pressure. And in, through it all, he is conforming us into the image of Jesus Christ. And if you could technically bind Satan by your words and through your prayers, you would be thwarting the plan of God. If God is allowing him to attack and you're binding him, then you're fighting against God's purposes. Now, I know you're probably thinking, so what are you saying, Phil? I shouldn't do anything when Satan attacks me. I should just submit to it. No, I'm not saying that either. Turn to 1 Peter 5. Folks, there's a balance here. Let's strike the balance Listen to what Peter said. We've already read part of it, but let, let's go back to 1 Peter 5, verse 8, where Peter said, be sober. He's talking to believers now. Be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Bind him in the name of Jesus. No, he doesn't say that. It says, resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. You, you, get, the, you get it here? God may let Satan get at us, but it's only for a, a time, for a purpose. Because in the end, God will perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. But Peter doesn't tell us that we are to bind the devil. We are never commanded in Scripture to bind the devil. Peter says we are to resist the devil steadfast in the faith, and we resist him, listen, primarily by putting on the whole armor of God every day and walking closely with the Lord. So we have a responsibility there, right? It's so much easier to throw up verbal formulas, isn't it? than to really strap on the armor of God every single day, get up early enough to spend time with the Lord in prayer and in the Word, consciously put on the armor of God, and go out to your day 
close to the Lord with the word of God in your heart, you know, that kind of thing. It's a lot easier just to say, I bind you, Satan. Throwing up these little verbal mantras, Christianized mantras that the church has gotten involved in. And I shake my head and go, look, that is simply not scriptural. If I could bind the devil with my words, how does he keep getting loose? I mean, if all these Christians all over the world who have been taught this are binding the devil every chance they get, how does he keep slipping out and getting out of these? I don't know, because it's not happening. It's not happening. So the question is then, why did Jesus teach us that whatever we bound on the earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever we loose on earth will be loosed in heaven? Let's see if we can't take these quickly, okay? Turn to Matthew 12. They pull verse 29 out. And they say, look, Jesus said, or how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? And then he will plunder his house. They say, well, there you go. We have to bind the strong man, which is Satan, before we can plunder his kingdom. Well, if you look at the context, it's Jesus who binds the strong man. Okay. It's Jesus, right? Uh, verse 28, but if I, if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Verse 30, he who is not with me is against me. He who does not gather with me scatters abroad. In other words, Jesus Christ bound the strong man at Calvary. Now, of course, he bound him in some ways, but he won't be ultimately bound until Revelation 20, verse 2. And then after the thousand years, he's loose for a while, and then he is disposed of permanently in the lake of fire. But the idea is Jesus on Calvary's cross vanquished principalities and powers and now gave to his church the power of the gospel in the Holy Spirit to go out there and to continue that work. But it's only through what Christ did in the cross that we could begin to plunder Satan's kingdom. Turn to Matthew 16. In verse 18, Jesus is saying, And I also say to you that you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Verse 19, And I will give you the keys of the kingdom, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Well, didn't Jesus tell us that we had the power to bind and loose things? You know, and, and, and the way they interpret that is, I have the power to bind Satan and loose the blessings of God. That's how it's always interpreted. All right, That Jesus gave us the power to bind the devil and to loose the blessings. That's the idea. And that's what we're hearing today on the TV and radio through so many ministries. He said to Peter, I'm giving you the keys of the kingdom. Uh, the idea here was stewardship. Stewardship. If I go away on vacation and I give to you, trusted friend, the keys to my house. And I say to you, look, I've got the uh, Maytag repairman coming over Wednesday at 3 o'clock. Could you let him in? And of course, don't let in anybody else that I haven't told you to let in. You would know that, right? So I'm giving you the keys to my house. I'm telling you, whatever you bind, you know, bind and loose. Well, that was a rabbinic term. Binding meant rejecting and loosing meant accepting. And what the idea was that, look, when you go forth with the gospel, whoever receives the gospel, loose them. You or you have loosed them. In other words, they have been accepted into the kingdom. I'm giving you the authority to go out there, preach my word. Whoever receives it, they're accepted into the kingdom. They are loosed. Whoever rejects it, they are bound. They cannot enter the kingdom. That, that's all that that means, really. 
Also, in Luke 10, verse 19, give you a couple more. Jesus said in chapter nine, uh, chapter 10, 19 of Luke, he said, Behold, speaking to his disciples, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Well, first of all, I don't necessarily think that you can take that as a blanket promise to all the church because there have been many missionaries that have gone out and been martyred for their faith. I do think that what Jesus probably meant, though, was that nothing shall by any means hurt you in the sense of eternal. I mean, Jesus said they can kill your body, but they can't touch your soul. And so really, they can't take your eternal life from you. Even if you go out and preach the gospel and people, you know, martyr you for the faith. But the point that they jump on is that, you know, Jesus gives us authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And so they say, well, look, that's what it means to bind the devil. We have authority over the devil. But again, if you think that that means you can somehow bind him, tie him up with your words so that he never does any evil deeds, then why didn't the church just get together, bind him once and for all, and be done with it? You have to look at these things in the whole context of Scripture. What does this mean? I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Well, turn to Matthew 28. This is after Jesus' resurrection, just before his ascension back into heaven. He said in verse verse 18 of Matthew 28, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Now, he says, all authority has been given to me. In Luke, he is saying to them, and I'm going to transfer that authority to you. To do what? Well, to trample on serpents and scorpions, to storm the enemy's kingdom and take souls that he had captive for the glory of God, right? Because he connects it to the Great Commission here in Matthew 28. All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you, and, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And the idea is simply this, that Jesus at the cross vanquished principalities and powers. He bound the strong man. And by presenting the gospel, of course, he began to gather a great harvest of souls that someday would enter the kingdom. After the resurrection, of course. He then turned to his church and said, Look, I'm going back to my father. I'm giving you this authority. You have now the authority. I'm giving you the keys of the kingdom, basically. Go out there and preach the gospel. Whoever receives your words will be loosed of the devil's power, will be accepted into the kingdom. Those that reject it, of course, will be bound, will be kept out of the kingdom. It's all associated with the gospel, right? That's how we really um, trample on serpents and scorpions and all the, all, the, all the power of the devil. The Bible says of Jesus that he went around doing good and destroying the works of the devil. But the Lord Jesus Christ himself didn't bind Satan in the sense that he spoke the word and Satan was bound and that was it. So we have to take these things in their context. Spiritual warfare is not about verbal formulas. It's about walking with God every day, putting on the whole armor of God, staying close to the Lord, praying, you know, It's about, you know, and that's not something that you can just, it's not a quick fix. It's a a daily walk. It's a lifestyle. Spiritual warfare, you know, we have been promised victory. 
the problem is Christians want victory without any fight. Soldiers win victories. It's costly, though. It costs them something. They have to sacrifice a great deal to train and to fight until the victory is won. Today, we want victory without the fight. We, we don't want to put any effort in. It's just easier to throw up verbal formulas and Christian mantras and think that that's all we need to do. And that's wrong. It's not even biblical. You don't find that anywhere in the New Testament where Christians attacked by the devil said that, did that kind of thing. So the devil is a powerful adversary, but he is not the Lord. And greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Your adversary, the devil, goes around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. But you know what? You resist him in the faith. Because God has promised us, if you resist the devil, if you draw close to God and you resist the devil, he will flee. Because he can't stand against the children of God. We have the Holy Spirit within us. John said, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. First of all, I think that we are often very ignorant as to how much the devil controls the politics of the nations of this world through his deception. Now, we're going to see Satan's deception of the nations reach a climax under the reign of the Antichrist. So we've already studied chapter 13, where with the Antichrist and the false prophet, uh, people are so deceived and are so willing to follow this guy wherever he goes, because by this time now they believe he's God. In fact, he's already abolished all of the religions on the face of the earth. That happens about the midpoint of the last seven years. And now he puts him, his, an image of himself in the Holy of Holies in the rebuilt temple in Jerusalem, demands to be worshipped as God, and he abolishes all other religions but his own now. And of course, most of the world will follow him. You're going to have believers on the earth at that time who are true Christians, and the Antichrist and his followers will begin to slaughter them by the thousands and probably millions. But we're going to see the deception reach that climactic phase during the Antichrist's reign because Satan is not called the God of this world for nothing. He is the God of this world, fallen world system. He controls the political systems of this world. Why? Because God allows him to. Why does God allow him? Because of the hardness and the evil of man's heart. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. God says, fine, have darkness. They refuse to receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. They reject the gospel. God says that I'll give you strong delusion that you might believe lies. It's not because God wants to see people deceived. God sent his son into the world to be a light, to, to bear witness to the truth. And yet man, for the most part, has rejected the truth because he loves darkness rather than light or truth. And so God is allowing men to do exactly what they want to do. And of course, all of it is leading up to the return of Christ. So in that sense, God allows Satan to get away with these things because he is fulfilling God's purposes, which we have been studying about in this book. God is giving man enough rope to hang himself, literally, through his own rebellion 
and wicked uh, desires. You know, in Philippians 3, Paul tells us that our citizenship as believers is in heaven. You realize the Greek word there for citizenship is the word we get, we get our word politics from. As Christians, our politics are in heaven. Now, that doesn't mean when I say that, that Christians shouldn't get involved in earthly politics or run for office or that we shouldn't vote. There are some people that say, look, the world system is evil. We should have nothing to do with it. We shouldn't be involved in politics. We shouldn't vote. It's not of God and so on and so forth. I, I don't agree with that. The, the Bible says, Peter in particular tells us that we are to be good citizens of the earth. We are to be law-abiding. We are to be upright. We are to pay our taxes and, and, and to live lives that are godly on the earth. But we have to always remember that first and foremost, we are citizens of heaven. We're not Democrats or Republicans or independents. Now, I love my country, but I realize that my first priorities and loyalties uh, lie with the Lord himself. You've been listening to Day by Day, the verse-by-verse Bible teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel in Elk Grove Village, Illinois, with Pastor Phil Ballmeyer. Today's message, as well as many other studies, can be heard and downloaded free of charge from our website at daybydayradio.org. From our website, you can contact us, order resources, read Pastor Phil's blog, and also subscribe to our daily podcast. We hope you'll pay us a visit. And remember to join us for Day by Day, Monday through Friday, here on this station. Thanks again for listening, and please join us again next time as we continue to study God's Word. Until then, may the Lord richly bless you and guide your steps as you walk with Him day by day. day, by day.